Welcome to, and can you believe this, Vicky, our 50th episode of Rising Tide, the Ocean Podcast. This is David Helvarg, and my co-host is Vicki Nichols-Goldstein. Hello, everyone, and wow, 50. I can't believe it either. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Craig Downs of the Hawaii-based Hereticus Environmental Lab. His lab studies pollution threats to the ocean, particularly coral reefs. Craig's also founded several nonprofits focused on animal welfare and environmental protection, as well as a number of biotech companies. One of his studies on the island of Maui exposed how reckless onshore development can devastate offshore reefs. At Oahu's famous Hanama Bay, he did pioneering work that identified how certain sunscreen ingredients can seriously damage living coral. This work has gotten a lot of attention, led to the marketing of a number of sunscreens that now claim to be coral safe. But before we get into that, Craig, maybe you can give us some personal background about where you were raised and how you first connected to the sea. Well, uh, thank you for having me and aloha. Um, I really appreciate being on your show. Um, I grew up as a military brat. Um, and so we lived in the Philippines. We were um, in Japan. We were all through the South Pacific. And um, our holidays were always spent on coral reefs. Every weekend, we'd be out snorkeling someplace, whether it was in Hawaii or the Philippines or Japan. So it was uh, quite an experience. And it was at a time where the reefs in the ocean were still vibrant uh, and healthy. And as um, I got older, I, I noticed that these reefs all over the world and, and the places I used to uh, spend my time uh, in, in when, during my childhood uh, began to decline, meaning the reefs got smaller and smaller and we, we would see less and less fish. And that kind of drove me to uh, examining what exactly is happening to these reefs. And um, I'm a, uh, an environmental forensic scientist by training, uh, also a molecular and cellular biologist. So I put the molecular and cell pathology together with the forensics and began investigating why we are seeing these ecosystems all over the world declining. And once we understand why they're declining, we can then do something about them. How did you make the correlation between some of the chemicals in sunscreens and declining reefs? We were tasked to look at why coral reefs were declining in the Virgin Islands National Park in St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And we came across this one bay called Trunk Bay. And there was nothing in the watershed except for Kenny Chesney's house, the, the country music singer, way on top of the mountain. There was just just unbroken forest from his house all the way down to, to the shoreline. And nothing made sense to us. Um, you know, to, to, to quote Sherlock Holmes, we saw, but we just didn't observe anything that would um, cause such massive destruction. And this was in about 2004, 2005. So this was really before climate change became a, a serious concern for most people. Um, what killed these reefs in Trunk Bay was not climate change. We couldn't figure out what it was. And um, me and, and several other scientists, uh, we were really perplexed. I was starting to get frustrated. And when I get frustrated, I go straight to the cookie aisle at the grocery store. And I was talking to another scientist uh, on the other side of the aisle. I was, in the, of course, on the cookie aisle getting the Oreos. And a Rastafarian gentleman overheard us complaining. 
And at the end of the aisle, he stopped me and in his, his Antillian uh, accent, um, basically told me it's the tourists. And I'm like, what, what do you mean the tourists? And he goes, go there around 5 PM before the sun sets. And on a doldrum day, he says, it's beautiful because as the sun is setting the, the oil from all the sunscreen lotion basically just kind of lights up and becomes iridescent and scintillates across the surface of the water. And so the very next day, as luck would have it, um, we arrived around 4 p.m. All the uh, the cruise ship tourists had had left the bay by 3:30, 4 p.m. And it was a doldrum day, and it looked like an oil spill. And uh, I kind of cut my teeth on the Exxon Valdez oil spill um, in my early 30s, and we're like, "Dang, this guy was right." And so we start. We went. We rushed back to the grocery store and looked at, okay, what's in these? What's in the sunscreen? And at that time, back in 2004, there were, you know, there were, most of the sunscreens were oil-based. So yes, that was the scintillation, the, 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 the sunscreen sheen, as everybody now calls it, at the surface of the water. But we also noticed six to seven different chemicals uh, from oxybenzone and octocrylene. And so we, we grabbed some of that water and we measured how much oxybenzone and octocrylene and some other the of the sunscreen chemicals um, were in Trunk Bay. And lo and behold, we found out that they can get really, really high in concentration. Um, when we sampled Trunk Bay again at one spot in the bay at the beginning of the snorkel um, pathway, there's a, there's a, there's kind of like a, a snorkel trail. Um, we found like 1.3 parts per million oxybenzone. Is that a lot, Craig? What's, um, give us the range so we can understand what that means. You can start seeing corals beginning to bleach at about 100 parts per million. And algae, microalgae, phytoplankton, can begin to bleach, meaning they lose their chlorophyll, as low as 10 parts per trillion. So from uh, basically one part per million uh, is is the concentration that we're seeing at this one spot. Uh, and if we're seeing toxicity at, at 10 parts per trillion or 100 parts per trillion, it's now understandable why, why we're seeing such massive coral declines in all these really tourist-intensive areas. So what is happening? So you have these chemicals, these sunscreens. What is it doing to the corals and the other animals? So, so good question. Um, oxybenzone and, and some of these other chemicals like octocrylene, um, these are, uh, UV filters that, uh, provide value to the sun protection factor or the SPF of your sunscreen. And they, they do a, a number of, of toxic, uh, things to coral reef organisms from corals to fish to, we think even sea turtles and dolphins. So it's, it runs the entire gamut of, of the food chain or the food web on a coral reef for corals and fish. We know that it causes DNA damage. So it's genotoxic and that has some huge implications, especially for reproduction. If you're exposed to mutagenic or carcinogenic chemicals, you're less likely to have viable sperm, viable eggs, and your embryos 
are less likely to develop into healthy um, individuals. And this contributes to what we what we are now calling uh, the zombification of coral reefs and and a number of marine uh, ecosystems, and that we see these declines over a period of ten to twenty years, and this is basically an extinction, a localized extinction of a population. They don't reproduce anymore. I think you were saying that these chemicals are particularly impactful, that, that algaes are super sensitive to these chemicals. And most people don't know the relationship of zooxanthellae, of the algaes that live on uh, the coral polyps and give them their color. And maybe you could explain a little of how that works and, and what the impacts are. Sure. So oxybenzone, um, which is related to a, a Monsanto patented herbicide called benzophenone, Oxybenzone, benzophenone 2, all of these, there's like 12 to 13 chemicals that are in the benzophenone category. All of them cause a disruption of photosynthesis in plant and algae. And corals are a symbiotic organism that have a, what is a dinoflagellate algae that is susceptible to the herbicidal effects of oxybenzone and these other benzophenones. And so oxybenzone is basically an herbicide. And if it gets into the water column, if it gets onto a coral reef, if it gets onto a seagrass bed, it's going to have a toxic effect to the overall photosynthesis of, of coral and to seagrass and algae. And that means it's, it's threatening the very foundation of these ecosystems because that's primary productivity. So if you don't have the algae, uh, you don't have growth, especially for corals. And oxybenzone, one of the things a, a Dutch group discovered, is that when you combine oxybenzone and increasing sea surface temperatures, you get coral bleaching at a lower temperature. So corals normally uh, begin to bleach around 30 degrees Celsius. But we found out that corals, when they're exposed to, let's say, one part per billion um, oxybenzone, will bleach at 27 degrees Celsius. And 27 degrees Celsius is not a hot temperature. It is an, uh, actually, it's an optimal growing temperature for corals. That is just, I'm just startled for a second, because I've never heard it described so simply as an herbicide. And that really is shocking when you think about all the people who put sunscreen on and go into the ocean and not even think twice about it. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the, the things that we've convinced legislatures and, and communities and community groups that look, these chemicals, they've not really been tested. They've not really been FDA approved um, in the sense that, you know, they go through drug testing and are they safe? Uh, we really don't know. The FDA has not decided whether they're safe or not. And whether or not they're safe for the environment, are they safe for ecosystem health? And when you look at the entire scientific literature of these chemicals, especially oxybenzone, yeah, it's an herbicide. So you started in the Caribbean and then you continued your studies in Hawaii. Is that how it went? Yes, we started in the Caribbean and we would actually do the, the chemical testing back at my lab at the University of Hawaii. At that time, I was also a professor there at, at UH Manoa. Um, and 
we thought, well, if it's this bad in the Virgin Islands, what's it like in Hawaii? And so we began sampling all over the place in Hawaii, over on Oahu, Waikiki, Hanama Bay, over on Maui, uh, Kapalua Bay, um, Black Rock right next to the Sheraton in Maui. And what we discovered was that these concentrations were all in the parts per billion range. If not, some of them were in the parts per million, which means these are all at toxic levels to cause corals to bleach. And it's not just corals, it's, it's also fish. Oxybenzone is a estrogenic endocrine disruptor. Um, there was early on, I think in the late 2010s, a number of groups were saying that um, if, if you slap on oxybenzone as a sunscreen onto you, it's like slapping on a birth control patch because it emulates estrogen. And we would see that in fish. It causes, when fish are, are exposed to oxybenzone, it will cause what is called feminization of fish. So juvenile fish will begin to produce egg protein, and, and that's measurable. Um, it will also cause uh, feminine features begin to be imparted to male sexually mature fish. The problem here, again, is zombification. In order for the population or that species to persist, it has to have a healthy reproductive population. And if fish are being feminized, um, even as juveniles, so that they um, are not reproductively compatible, you're going to get localized uh, extinctions of, of, of populations of these species of fish. A great example is parrotfish. In parrotfish life history and parrotfish um, population structure, in a bay, let's say uh, Hanama Bay, you might have 60 female parrotfish and a single male. And that single male is, you know, it's the only individual, you know, it's the, in it's a single individual male and it will uh, uh, mate and reproduce with all these females. Let's say something kills that male parrotfish. Then the alpha female actually then notices pheromonally that the male has disappeared and the alpha female will begin to transition into the male. What happens if you're exposed to an estrogenic endocrine disruptor that doesn't allow the alpha female to transition into the male? Although all, all that population remains female and they don't reproduce. And so you could expect over a period of time, over a period of years, if you don't have that reproduction, you're seeing less and less parrotfish. And that's exactly what we see. And just as an aside, people say, well, why do we need parrotfish? Parrotfish clean the reef. They eat coral and poot sand. And in a lifetime, a average parrotfish can poot uh, 50 cubic yards of sand. So that are those lovely uh, white sand beaches we all love in our tropical uh, paradises or a lot parrotfish poop. So we need the parrots. We need to protect them. Exactly. And, and, and we found out it wasn't just parrotfish, moray eels. Um, my wife does not like moray eels because she gets chased by them. But moray eels are in that same class. A number of, of tangs, um, wrasses. And so it's, it's, it's quite a number of species of fish that can be affected. When I met you, you told me a very interesting story about put sunscreen on your body. Whether you're at the coast or living inland, 
you rinse it off in the shower and you also pee. And you were telling me that the chemicals, the oxybenzones and some of the other chemicals go through your body and then is discharged in your pee. And then also the physical stuff is washed off into the showers. So you're getting these in inland communities as well as coastal. So it's not just the physical presence of a person. It has a lot more to do with the bigger picture. So can you talk about that? Well, let's step back. Um, uh, we, we discovered um, that when you put an oxybenzone-based sunscreen on your skin, and 20 minutes later, when you go to urinate, we can detect oxybenzone in your urine. Um, and this has been repeated by other groups uh, two or three different times. Um, the FDA discovered that um, from just a single day application of an oxybenzone sunscreen, that oxybenzone can stay in your blood above what is called the, the safe threshold level for almost two weeks. So a single day application of an oxybenzone sunscreen stays with you for a long, long time. And uh, you'll probably urinate most of that out. So wherever you are, if you have an oxybenzone sunscreen, like in Iowa or Colorado, um, you put it on you and then you urinate and it goes into the waste. You know, if you have a leach field or if you're just, you know, going out near the woods, um, it's going to get into waterways. Um, the, uh, the etymological word of sewage means seaward. It's an old English word where English towns... Uh, they would discharge their sewage seaward. Um, and so all, all, all rivers, all streams go to the sea, which means all our toilets when flush go to the sea. And if you don't remove these chemicals, these chemicals end up out in the ocean. From the time you uh, did your first work in the early 2000s on the link between sunscreen and, and damage to corals, um, how long before this this reached kind of a popular awareness and people began to uh, look to effective solutions? It, it took almost ten years. Um, so we we generated the science. Um, we 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 started to public communicate that science in about two thousand seven two thousand eight. Uh, we gave presentations because um, it was all new and we didn't think it was. It was like, this is kind of crazy uh, when you when you first think about it. And then when you think about it longer and you're like, wow, this makes complete sense. We, I got threats, uh, intimidation uh, from some folks who didn't want us to pursue this, this line of research, that didn't want us to uh, publish it. Um, and so we finally published it in t uh, 2015. Wait, wait, wait. Big, big sunscreen went after you? Who, who was threatening you? I don't want to say big sunscreen. Um, I'll just say some people would come out, I'd give a talk and, um, uh, after my, you know, most of the crowd would go away. Somebody would come up and say, if you publish this work, we're going to sue your ass into oblivion. Um, and as a young person, I'm like, what? Um, you know, and young scientists are very susceptible to intimidation. I, you know, I didn't know then what I know now, and now I'm like, bring it on. Because the discovery phase is is wonderful. Because in the discovery phase of a lawsuit, you have to law, lay out all the cards on the table. 
Where did you and your colleagues uh, get to publish uh, this discovery? So we finally published it in a journal called Archives in Environmental Contamination and Toxicology, and it exploded. Um, I think we had close to 300 um, media outlets all over the world um, report on it. I was doing interviews with media outlets, TV, radio, magazines for like four months, five months straight. And then I presented our, our, our work in 2016 in, in June in Hawaii at a, a big um, international coral reef conference. Uh, it happens only f- once every four years. So it's kind of like a, a big party and, and family reunion for, for scientists who study coral reefs. I presented it there. Um, it's, it, we had news coverage on it uh, every day in Hawaii um, locally. And um, that's when the politicians started coming up to me and basically interrogating me about what is this? What does this mean? What does this mean to our coral reefs? What does this mean to tourism? And what can we do about it? Um, And it was a number of politicians. And the first one was Senator Will Asparo of the state of Hawaii, who proposed a, a bill to ban oxybenzone and a second UV chemical called actinosate. And that this, I believe, was started in 2017. And, and in 2018, in my understanding from um, a legislative historian, has been one of the fastest bills passed in the history of the, of the state legislature, especially on an environmental bill. You know, it was passed, I think, almost unanimously. I think there were three holdouts in both houses of, of the state legislature, you know, to pass it. So... I mean, it was quite popular. Um, the governor signed it and it was enacted or it went into effect in January 1st, 2021. So it's this year. Um, you know, we're chomping at the bit to go back to Hawaii to to see what kind of effect are we seeing? Do we see a reduction in oxybenzone? Do we see corals, reefs doing better? Um, what we have learned in that time is that industry has reformulated their products so they've kind of taken oxybenzone, uh, oxybenzone out of most of the sunscreen formulations, but they've really increased the concentrations of other UV uh, petrochemical sunscreens called avobenzone, which is similar to oxybenzone, um, octocrylene, uh, homosalate, and that's another kind of bad one. Um, it's related to aspirin, salicylic acid. It's fine for adults, but for uh, embryonic stages of development, it can be quite dangerous. This is why pregnant women are recommended not to take aspirin, when, especially in their first trimester, because it causes birth defects. So, you know, right in front of me, I have a sun bomb, which is very popular at you know, surf shops all around the world, certainly around the United States. And in many of the ingredients that you just mentioned are included in this product. And this product is billed as reef safe. Um, as many other products are. So you've kind of described some of the the worst chemicals and the impact to humans and to the environment. How do we trust when we see a label reef safe? Like what do people really need to look for? I I don't trust any claim for reef safe because um, to be safe, you actually have to test that product on a variety of organisms. On, on coral species, on shrimp species, fish species, algae, and, and, 
and seagrass species to really um, determine if it's safe. Safe implies a guarantee, which means it's it, you have to test it and you have to demonstrate that it truly is safe. And the only way to do that is through ecotoxological studies. Most companies won't do that, and I understand why. And so you, you've got to go back to the basic ecotoxicology and look at the chemicals and whether or not they were tested. And most of the petrochemical sunscreens like oxybenzone, octocrylene, homosalate, right now the FDA doesn't even trust them. They're not considered grace, meaning they're not generally recognized as safe and effective. They're in some limbo categorization called category three, and they're waiting on industry to supply them with data that they should have provided to the FDA 45 years ago. So we don't even know if they're safe for humans. And the, the scientific published evidence um, indicates that for oxybenzone and actinosate, they're not safe for humans. You know, actinosate, I think in like Switzerland, the Swiss government won't even allow uh, anybody under the age of six to use an actinosate-based uh, product because it's such a, a, a um, foul um, endocrine disruptor. It, it screws with your thyroid. Um, so it's a thyroid endocrine disruptor. And, and that's just not something you really want to screw with at any age, but especially, at, you know, uh, prepubescent um, children. You, you just, it's not good. So the, the best thing to do is, is to look at, to look at the ingredients and if it has zinc oxide and titanium dioxide and, and if it's non-nanotized. And so I would ask the, the company, uh, hey, is your, is your mineral sunscreen, is it nanotized or non-nanotized? And they should know. They actually have to know. Um, and if they say it's non-nanotized, then great. Uh, it looks like you might have a, a friendlier sunscreen that is not all that harmful to to coral reefs, but I want to, I want to caveat that in toxicology, another rule is the dose makes the poison. So if I have 6,000 people all using zinc oxide sunscreen on, on, in Hanama Bay, I will probably see a toxic effect from some or multiple components in those mineral sunscreens, you know, zinc oxide, if it's not nano, you can get really high concentrations before you see any toxicity. And, and so what I recommend, uh, and we, we kind of recommend this as a conservation policy is to, if you're, if you're putting on sunscreen to protect yourself from the sun, from UV rays, one of the safest things you can do is, is to cover up, to clothe up. And we, we've been doing this since 20, 17 or 2018, I was sitting on a beach in Kapalua. I was sitting in Kapalua Bay in Maui. And I'm always the first guy there, you know, big old Hawaiian guy. I, you know, I go to the nicest spot and then every, all these tourists think wherever the big Hawaiian guy is, that must be the best spot on the beach. So let's go sit next to him. And the rest of the beach is empty. And I got 40 people sitting around me and they're all spraying themselves with sunscreen, uh, you know, with, with the aerosol spray. And I was just thinking, wow, if they just put on a shirt, it would reduce the amount of sunscreen by 50%, meaning a sun shirt. And especially if it was a long sleeve uh, sun shirt. So then I sent letters to all these apparel companies 
saying, hey, you know, you, you can guys can use the same propaganda that the sunscreen companies use. Your UPF clothing shirt is, you know, protects against the aging factor of the sun. You know, it's, it's a sunscreen that, you know, never washes off. You're always protected if you wear it. And nowadays, when you go to the beach, over half the people there have a sun shirt when they, when they get in the water. And that's fantastic. So the, the idea is to, to be conservative, to be a conservationist, uh, wear something that doesn't pollute, that doesn't come off your body, like a UPF sun shirt. And they're not all rash guards. That's one of the things I think the textile industry has been great at is they're loose fitting. They're, there's actually formal UPF wear now. There's an entire industry of UPF clothing, which is universal protection factor against UV radiation that will block 99%, 95% of the UV radiation, both UVA and UVB. So it's broad spectrum. Um, and so, you know, wear the shirt, wear the long sleeve shirt, you know, put the sunscreen on your ears, the back of your neck, uh, you know, the back behind your knees, um, on your hands, that kind of thing, you know, just where you need it. And, um, you know, go have a good time in the water. Even the total doofus who doesn't care about the corals, you never get the sunscreen all over your back, but you put one of these uh, UV shirts on and go snorkeling for an hour and you won't have a uh, lobster red back. <laughs> exactly. You don't have to look like a lobster, you know, and be in pain for the next three days of your, of your vacation. The County of Maui, because they're really, they're, they're really adamant in trying to get their reefs to recover and to protect them. They just passed a law a little more than a month ago, banning the sale and use of any petrochemical sunscreen. So sunscreens that contain oxybenzone, octocrylene, homosalate, they're not allowed to be purchased or used. And my understanding of, for Maui County is that there's an enforcement angle. So there, there will be people at beaches, at the state parks, at the county parks, who might be able to write up a ticket. Wow. Um, the, US, the U.S. Virgin Islands actually started this. It was their vision and, and their leadership where they did the ban on sale, distribution, and use. And I think it was like a $1,000 ticket if they catch you using oxybenzone or octocrylene sunscreen on the beach. Wow. So it all comes back to fossil fuels. We got to get off them. <laughs> it, 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 actually, yeah. I mean, that's that was a, a colleague of mine from the University of Tehran, Iran. It was his idea that saying, hey, these things have a carbon footprint. The, the, they all start from you know oil fields. Because they're all synthesized, um, there's always there's a huge carbon footprint. That, you know they're all petrochemically derived. Why why not look for uh, sunscreens or develop new sunscreens that are part of a blue economy that can be grown from algae or other botanicals and and harvested and and extracted and and used as as sun protection factors. It's kind of exciting. There are, are a whole bunch of companies out there that are doing that. It makes a lot of the the big boys of industry really, really nervous um, because whoever comes up with the next SPF ingredient is basically going to have a monopoly on a $24 billion a year industry of sunscreens and anti-aging creams and moisturizers. Craig, I wanted to ask you a real quick question before we wrap up. Um, sure. We know that 
some of the sunscreen bands, and we know we've got one in Maui. Where are some of the other uh, sunscreen restrictions around the world? There's a whole bunch. Um, Thailand, uh, I think, is one of the latest ones. They're, they've banned um, a number of sunscreen petrochemical ingredients as well as preservatives in all of their conservation uh, parks, both terrestrial and marine. Palau and Kiribati, the Marshall Islands, um, Saipan, so the Northern Marianas ha ha all have bands, uh, Aruba and Bonaire in the U.S. Virgin Islands in um, the Caribbean. But, you know, I talked to some Iranians and they're looking to do a ban. I talked to some Israelis and they're looking to do a ban um, in a lot, the Red Sea. They're, they're trying to push that forward. Croatia. Um, so it's not just coral reefs. It's a lot of aquatic places. We both want to thank you so much for your dedication to this topic, for speaking with us, for your energy, and just appreciate you being on the Rising Tide Ocean podcast. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I, I really appreciate it, and I hope your audience is inspired by it, and they go out and, and be smart conservationist consumers. Thank you so much. Great thank talk. you. Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier, co-hosted by David Helbarg and myself, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein, with support from Natasha Benjamin and Ellie Curlow. Rising Tide's editing services and additional technical support are provided by Studio Kate May. The theme song is written and performed by Ethan Kenbarg. You can find Rising Tide, the Ocean Podcast, at www.bluefront.org or download it from Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves roll free, the sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea. Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear. It's true, it's the blue frontier. Tear, tear, tear. Off in the salty ocean, off to the blue frontier. Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky.